Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Well, good morning. Good morning. I um, was having sort of like a conversation with myself about what I wanted to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And I don't know about you, but there's been many seasons in my life where I didn't really have like an answer, an answer as to what to do next. Many of us have big decisions we have to make, right? If it's career or who should I date or should I break up with this person? Who should I marry? Should I marry this person? Or, you know, maybe even more specific, like, should I start to have a family? Should I start planning on having children with my wife or with my husband, right? All, all the, these big decisions. Or let's just say something happens at work with another coworker and things get, like, a little spicy and, and unhealthy and you guys start to yell and argue and you just, like, don't know what to do in those moments. I kind of have found in my life I, I, I have to seek advice. I have to seek counsel especially when I don't know what to do. And there, for those that are humble enough, can say, hey, there's just times where I don't really know what to do, and unfortunately, I've just kind of done whatever I thought, and it didn't really pan out the way I thought. It was bad, right? There's just been seasons in my life where I've sat with, with older, wiser men that I really respect and look up to, men that have been following Jesus longer than I've even been alive. So I'll go to them and ask them questions about, discipleship to Jesus and spiritual formation and why I feel a certain way about you, right? And when I get upset and bothered, I, I need to go to someone that I know has the wisdom and advice and knowledge to help me through those seasons. There's m many times I've called my father up. Dad, I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know what happened here. What are your thoughts on this? And I can lean on advice and wisdom. There's times I've called my mom. Mom, I don't really know how to go about this. I have people in my life that I can seek counsel and wisdom and guidance and advice from. And I just think that is so crucial in the day and age we're living in. There's just times we just don't really know what to do. And you have to have enough self-awareness to know, okay, I'm not really asking advice from anyone and I'm just kind of doing what I think and it's just never going well for me. You need to have enough self-awareness to say, I, I think I should probably like ask some people that I respect, that fear God, that love God for some advice, for some wisdom. You know, I, I want to talk over the next couple of weeks about wisdom literature and specifically the book of Proverbs. Um, my mom used to tell me growing up, Sam, if you don't know where to read, just find the date. And, you know, if it's the 21st, then read the 21st proverb. You know, sometimes it doesn't pan out, right? Like we're in February. There's only like 28. How many days are in February? This. Okay, see? I don't even know. And you, you kind of, the Proverbs has 31 chapters. So really a challenge for you, you could read, a, you could read two Proverbs a day. It's, they're really not that long. But what I have found in my life when you look at the scriptures is that scripture brings wisdom. Scripture brings knowledge and understanding, and what we'll discover is if you do not apply that knowledge or understanding, if you don't actually use it and do something with it, then you become a fool, as Scripture would say. So what I want to talk today about is the beginning of wisdom. 
If you are familiar with your, your Bible, if you were to open up to Proverbs chapter 1, the very first thing that Solomon, and I'll describe what that means and why he wrote the book and what wisdom literature is, but one of the first couple things that he says is the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. And so I want to dive into what that looks like today. What does the beginning of wisdom look like? Because I need in my life in this day and age and the culture that we're living in with the relationships that I have, I need wisdom that doesn't come from you but comes from God. And I truly believe that it doesn't matter if you are the oldest person in the room with all of the gray hair in the world. And I love that. I want to have more gray hair because it shows I have more wisdom. But not always, right? You could be 85 years old and have no wisdom. You could be 15 years old and have wisdom that are, is beyond your age. And so ever since I was young, I would hear this, this sort of cliche prayer, and I actually love it. And it's, God, I pray that you would give this person wisdom. I remember having that prayed over my life all the time when people would pray for me and my mom would just take me to someone. Can you pray for my son? And that would usually be, God, would you pray? I pray for wisdom for this young man, for wisdom for this boy. So that's why oftentimes when we're praying and you, you don't really know what to do and I don't really know what to tell you, God, would you bring wisdom to this situation? The scripture says, especially in James, ask for wisdom and God will give it to you. So I wonder in the room, like, when was the last time you asked God for wisdom? When was the last time you said, God, give me advice that is beyond my year, beyond my age, so that I can make the right decision, so I can make the right choices in life? So I want to talk about what this looks like. If you have your Bible, if you want to turn with me to Proverbs, Proverbs you can find, if you were to open your Bible, like right in the middle, you might fall into Isaiah or Song of Psalms or, or Psalms. Well, if you find yourself in Psalms, you're really close to Proverbs. Just go to the right. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to read nine verses. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. This is the purpose of this book, okay? He's explaining it right now. Doing what is right and just and fair for giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. If you were to continue to read chapters 1 through 9, what you'll discover is it's sort of like a father speaking to his son. It's like a mom and dad speaking to their child about how life is and about the do's and the don'ts. And what you should do, what you really shouldn't do, what you should take heed of, what you should walk in. I would argue all of us need more wisdom. We can't get enough, right? If we believe in a God that is infinite, right? He is beyond our imagination and our comprehension. He is beyond our intellect and our everything. The Bible says we can access the mind of Christ. Well, we'll discover and understand that Christ is wisdom. He is actual wisdom personified. 
So I need more of Christ. And if I get more of Christ, I get more of wisdom. So we need wisdom desperately in this day and age. I want to just kind of share the context, the literary style, and the structure just to kind of like geek out just for a second. Because I believe that it's really crucial that we understand how to read the Bible, how the Bible is structured. The Bible, again, I've said so many times, is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It'll pierce right through all of the junk straight to the soul. It'll read you. It'll call you out. It'll frustrate you, as it should. It'll remind you of where you need to be with God. And I am so grateful for the word of God, right? I'm so grateful for the scripture that speaks to us, that talks to us. So the context when you read it, if you were to read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that's the gospel. So it's gospel literature. is going to be very different than if you read Isaiah as prophetic literature. So when we open up Proverbs, this is wisdom literature. Now, wisdom literature is important. If you look at the context, the events in the book of Proverbs... So we're looking at history now. Span several centuries during Israel's history. Proverbs was compiled and arranged after Israel returns from exile in Babylon around the 5th and 4th century. So all of the collections of this particular book was not actually given out to read like we are today until after the Israelites come back to Israel. The style, the style is crucial. The book of Proverbs contains mostly poetry. Did you know that? It's very poetic language, along with some narrative sections, like a father speaking to a son. And then there's the structure. This is also just as crucial. There, um, Proverbs is divided into three parts, okay? There's three sections to Proverbs. The first sections is chapters one through nine, and it contains 10 speeches about virtue, about integrity, and about generosity. So if you were to read the first nine chapters, you're going to catch that. Virtue, integrity, generosity. And I would say it, it was not designed to be taught verse by verse. Here's why. There is a lot of, we just read that like two verses ago. <laughs> hey, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, like, it's very, at times, it repeats in different ways, in different fashions, and in different expressions. So I would say it wasn't necessarily designed to be read verse by verse in a teaching format, but most definitely you could pick it up on a Thursday, read Proverbs 1, and your soul will be edified. Does that make sense? So that's crucial to understand. The second part is chapters 10 to 29. It's a collection of wise sayings about life. And then the third, chapters 30 to 31, we always talk about the, the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Well, it... Chapters 30 to 31 explores the fearing, fearing the Lord, but it's personified in a symbolic language by Lady Wisdom. You're like, Lady Wisdom, who's that? Well, if you actually read it, it the, the language changes as if it's a woman speaking to you. Have you noticed that if you've read it? This is all really crucial that we understand. The book of Proverbs has been designed with a short introduction we just read that starts by linking the book of King Solomon or the life of King Solomon to the son of David. Did you notice that in the very first verse? It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. The reason why that's important is because we have to just, let's just go back into history briefly. When you read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, 
primarily in full, that was written by a man named King Solomon, who is an actual king in actual history in an actual place called Israel. And Solomon was the third of three really important kings. There was the first king that was Saul. The reason why they wanted a king, the Israelites, remember Moses is, you know, let my people go. And he gets the people out of Egypt and slavery into the wilderness. And I've said this before, but I just have to say it again. You can get, you know, you can get out of Egypt, but oftentimes you have to get Egypt out of you. Right? You can get out of the hood. (laughs) Right? So it's important to understand that they get out of Egypt. They're in sort of the in-between. God calls them and says, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey of promise. And so then they get into that space, and then judges sort of oversee the Israelites, men like Samuel or men like Samson. And then they start to complain again. Remember, the story of Israel is like, it's for you and me. We are Israel. We complain a lot. And so the question was, or the complaint was, well, all the other nations have a king. I want a king. Why don't we have a king? Why don't we look like the other nations? And so finally God says, fine, you can have a king. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. He doesn't pan out very well. It's a long story. And then the next in line is King David, where you might have heard where he slays the giant, right? Well, David has a son, and his name is Solomon. Could you imagine being about 30 years old, knowing you're going to be the king of an entire nation, knowing your father has, like, crushed it? He was at the front of the battle lines. He had many different heads. He had Goliath's head. Could you imagine, like, succeeding a man like that? People saying he's got a a heart after God's, writing all this poetry and song. This was King David. Could you imagine saying, oh, man, I'm up after him, my dad? Well, the scripture says in 1 Kings 3 that God visits Solomon. And God asks him the question, Solomon, if you could have anything in the world, what would you want? You're about to be king, king of an entire nation, king of my people. Solomon could have asked for riches. He could have asked for fame. He could have asked for anything materialistic. And God basically saying, I'll give that. I'll grant that to you. And Solomon returns and says, no, God, I need wisdom. I need understanding to lead Israel well. So God honors Solomon's request, and Solomon became known as the wisest man and teacher in the world. I want to read you 1 Kings 4, 29 to 33 to encapsulate why that is. Why was he the wisest? So the scripture says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all of the people of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone, including all of these people. I want to skip that. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Verse 32. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. So basically, Solomon becomes the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. If I could define wisdom literature, this is how it would be. A group of texts that explore what it looks like to live well in God's good world. That's what wisdom literature is. When you read the scriptures, it's trying to teach you how to live well in God's world. I don't know if you've even asked yourself that question. How do I live well in this life that I have? How how, how do I deal with people? How do I deal with 
suffering, with brokenness, with the highs and the lows of life? How do I deal with something when it doesn't go the way I thought it would go? Well, the wisdom literature gives us an insight on how to understand life this way. So it's not all the material, not all the material in Proverbs is written by Solomon personally, but Israel's wisdom tradition began with him. For example, you have to understand this. Wisdom literature, I think I said it earlier, is Proverbs, not in this order, Proverbs. It's Ecclesiastes, it's Song of Songs, and it's Job. You're, it's going to be very different when you read that as opposed to reading, again, the Gospels. I just want to um, give an example. Will you turn with me? This is not in my notes. Will you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12? Oh, gosh, let's see if I can find it. Here it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'm going to read at verse 9. It says, not only was the teacher wise, he's talking about himself, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and said in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and it was true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Here it is. Now, all that has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Now, I want you to go in your mind's eye to a king named Solomon who's lived a very long life, who had all the wisdom in the world. There's recorded, you should look it up on your phone, the queen of Sheba comes to Solomon to gain his wisdom and knowledge. And she was a very well-known woman, arguably from Ethiopia. And then many people would argue that Solomon, like, had a child with her, and then his reign was all the way in Ethiopia. But that's a long story. That's not in the Bible. But many could say that could happen because he got to a point in his life where, you know, that whole um, arranged marriage thing? Well, he would do that, but he would do that to gain more power for Israel. So he would find a queen or a princess have a child with them so that he could have a stake in the land that is wherever that is in Egypt. Does that make sense? This is like Old Testament craziness time. But picture a man sitting on his throne, wise in years, wise in age, wise in application, being visited by God himself saying, I will give you wisdom, Solomon. Could you imagine living your entire life and then he, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's kind of depressing, if we're being honest. It's like all is vanity, man. All is kind of nothing. At the end of the day, this is what matters. And then he says this. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. And that's how he ends the book of Ecclesiastes. What a word from a wise man. Hey, and all what I've taught you and everything that I've shared with you as a father speaks to his son, I want you to know this one thing. At the end of the day, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to do it, if you would first fear God, the awe, we'll talk about that, the awe, the reverence, the beauty, the wonder, first place that first and then keep his commandments. Do what he says to do. Do that. 
For God will bring every good deed into judgment. This is the duty of mankind, Solomon says. That's a big statement. And I think what happens in our day and age is, is we could either read that and be like, yeah, whatever, man. This is like an ancient text from like thousands of years ago. What does this man know? Or we can look at it. This is what the wise do. And they say, okay, heed. Heed of warning. If this is true, I'm going to test it out. I'm going to actually live in reverence to God. I'm going to do what God says to do. I'm going to follow his, which is Jesus' commandments. I'm going to obey his word. And I'm going to see how life pans out for me. That's a challenge for you, by the way. I'm 30. I know I'm young. I got a lot of years ahead of me, Lord willing. I'm going to put that for me in my life. I'm going to do that. How about you? And I know that it will be hard in many seasons. It has been hard. And I would love to speak to the men and the women that have ran the race well. I love those men, by the way, that have preached and taught and pastored and loved on others. And they're like in their 80s. I love to speak to them about life. And every single time I talk to these type of men and women, I realize, oh, man, they really have a awe for God, a reverence, a fear. So Solomon is saying, if you read this book, you will gain wisdom, understanding, which is cause and its effect, the way God intends in this world. For most of us, wisdom is best defined as just knowledge. But the Hebrew word here isn't just a mental activity type of knowledge. It's better translated with the word skill or with applied knowledge. We've kind of talked about this in the last couple of weeks in Romans chapter 12, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. But it needs to be actual active, right? You actually need to do something with your body on a regular basis. You need to, quote, show up to the gym if you want the results on a regular basis. You need to show up to Scripture on a regular basis. You need to talk to God, as Paul would say, pray without seat, like constantly have him at the forefront of your mind. I used to think when someone would say, you know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I'm just always praying until I realize, no, have God at the forefront of your mind all the time, everywhere you go. When you're in the coffee shop waiting in line, is God at the forefront of your mind? When you get a text that you didn't really want and it strikes you and you, your emotions get high, is God at the forefront of your mind? When you do these things over and over and over and over again, your life begins to shift into a man or woman of God. So, the beginning of skill, better translated, or the beginning of applied knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? What good is it for you to sit down with your dad? Let's just say he's super wise. He's got all the answers for you. They're really thought through. And, you know, he prays about it. He sits down with you and says, son, I think this is the best way. You, you should think about these things. And it's great advice and wisdom. And then you do nothing with it. That is still cause and effect. Son, if you do these things, I'm telling you, man, you're going to go to jail. <laughs> right? I know it's extreme. You do these things, you're going to jail. Uh, I think I could, maybe I might be able to get away with it. Well, what's cause, what's effect? You go to jail. Oh, God, where were you? I'm in my jail cell. What, what's happening in my life? Well, you were the, like, not so smart one that did these things that your father said not to do. Now you're in jail. I'm just trying to give an example of cause and effect. There's even times in my life as I've walked with people throughout 
the last, you know, decade of my life, uh, both junior highers and high schoolers, young adults, those that are much older than me, I've just been able to sit at the desk of life and, and see people's journeys. And one of the things that I begin to realize is I have, tr- I have to try really hard not to judge, okay? Do, do we not have to try really hard not to judge? So you're like, I don't judge anything. Okay, sure. Well, you're in church. Don't lie. <laughs> and as a pastor, I have to hold this very interesting space where when I'm sitting down listening to whatever and I sort of see the big picture, I often say, oh, Lord, I feel like I can almost see the story unfold in front of me. Like, I, I could probably, like, see what's going to happen if this individual keeps on this road. And so then, do I tell you? And then I'm going to sound, you know, prideful, like I know it all. Or I'm just assuming. Or do I just pray and ask God to show you? Or do I just say, hey, heed of warning. If you keep, like, sleeping with your boyfriend, you might get pregnant. Right? It's not, oh, God, what happened? I, I don't know why this happened. It's like, well, wait a second. I think I know exactly how that happened. It's cause and it's effect. Do you, do you hear me? I'm trying to be gentle with the space and gentle with the scripture, but this is real stuff. And I love that Solomon starts like saying, I am a father speaking to my son and daughter. But it's filled with wisdom that if you would take hold of it, your life will go in a better direction than if not. That's what I want from my life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then verse 10 of chapter 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I have said many times before, the word fear is not about terror. It's not about anxiousness. It's not about God with his angry, coward brow at us. That is not the word fear that... Uh, Solomon is using here it is more of a reverence it's rather a sense of awe before God which makes clear here it is our small place in the big world we live in that's like this reverence this awe there's a documented scripture in the in the um, in the different prophets where God is depicted as this massive cosmic being Bigger than you could ever dream or imagine. His robe that fills the entire temple. How big is that God? He's big and he's bigger than what you could even comprehend. So we need to kind of find our place in the universe, in the world we live in. That I'm small, don't know it all. And God is big and he knows it all. So I think I should probably listen to God on how I should live my life. He is big. We are not. He is all-powerful. We don't have all power like he does. He is the creator of all things. We can create things, but we are not the creator of all things. That recognizes, this understanding, this mindset recognizes we are not God and don't get to make up what's right and wrong. Did you know that? That's really hard for us. When we begin to do that, we begin to play God, and then we get in really dangerous territory because if someone listens to that word as if it is God, what happens when it doesn't pan out? It becomes dangerous when we do this. So the awe or the reverence of the Lord is, watch this, a posture of humility before God. Can you, in an undignified way, not caring what any person thinks, just get on your knees before God and say, God, I am, 
I'm desperate for you to show me how to live my life. I've tried it my way, and it's not working out for me. Would you lead me? Would you guide me in the way of this world and this life and your right path? It starts with humility, embracing God's definition of good and evil, and even when it's difficult or inconvenient, still embracing his definition of good and evil. You know, that's actually what ethics is as well. Oh, man, I had to take, like, an ethics class a couple times. And it's really frustrating because on one end, it's, like, common sense. But then they get really hard and difficult. Like, for example, I might have said this, but I just, just to say it so you can understand what I mean by ethics. If you were in the Holocaust, right, in that, that time with Nazi Germany, and you were a German, and you were hiding Jews in your basement, and the German, but you're a man of God, Right? You're filled with integrity. You tell the truth. What would you do if a German knocks on your door and says, hey, we've heard that there might be some Jews in your basement. Is that true? I remember thinking, how silly is that question? I'm going to lie every time. I'm going to say, absolutely not. See you later, man. God, please forgive me. I think you know that I'm like doing well by this. But then there's much more difficult conversations to have when you don't know what to do or what to choose, that is when you need to lean on God way more than your own understanding. Very difficult, hard situations to make about life. God, what do I do? What do you do if you don't feel like you've got an answer from God? Well, you lean on wisdom. You lean on understanding. You lean on what God says about this world and how he's created it. You ask and seek counsel and guidance. Then, after you've prayed about all that, you make a decision based off wisdom. Because there are times, friend, can I just be honest, that you might not get an answer, do this or do that from God. That does happen. Did you know that? Maybe, I mean, you got to walk with God for just a little amount of time, and then he starts to treat you like a, an adult, Right? It's not like I'm going to tell Lenya, like, if she should turn left at the stop sign when she's 25 years old. No, she should be, like, old enough to know I should probably go this way. If I do this, this is going to happen. So as we get older with God, he begins to speak to you through the word. He always does that. But there might be moments where you don't really feel like you've got an exact answer from God. In those moments, you need wisdom, friend. You need guidance and understanding. So here's another passage of wisdom literature that really strikes a chord in humility and embracing God's reign and sovereignty. And the reason why I wanted to bring this passage up is because this might really um, challenge people's thoughts, which I, I want to do that. I want you to think through this. Because when you read the book of Proverbs, if you just read it as a book of promises, then you might get really disappointed. What do I mean by that? There are actual passages of scripture that are promises from the throne room of God into your life. Promises. But there are also wisdom literature that is poetic, that is symbolic, that you need to be careful that you don't say this is 100% a promise. Let me give you an example. You heard that passage of scripture, train up a child in the way of the Lord, and when they grow older, they will never depart from it. Have you heard that one? If you're a parent, I know you have. I know I pray that now over my children, over my daughters. So now I'm asking God, okay, Father, if I train up my children in the way that they should go, when they're older, they'll never depart from it. Then why is it that when I speak to a man that has been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive, and he's done that, that wasn't the case? Are you, are, are you, is this not true? Well, see, that's why that's not wisdom to think 
100% it's going to happen that way. Here's why. That would take out choice from your child. Does that make sense? I, 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 I kind of want to go a little bit deeper with this. If you open up the book of Genesis and you read the passage of Scripture and you read the account, and you read Genesis 3 when the fall happened, you have to understand God gave you and I, because we're Adam and Eve, a choice. You do this, things go well. You don't, it's not going to go well for you. And so all throughout Scripture, he gives us choices, friend. So you can't say no matter what this is going to happen when they have a choice in the matter. Does that make sense? It's like if you were to sit down with, if I were to sit down with Lenya when she's 20 years old, Okay, let's just say, hypothetically. And she's about to get married, right? As terrifying as that is. It's, it's, it's a ways from now. And it's like, okay, Lenya, are you sure you want to marry this guy? Because he doesn't seem like he's amazing to me. I've thought about this. Can, you, can I just be honest? <laughs> I've thought about these things. I don't really like this guy, Lenya, but if you like him, go for it. But I'm just giving you a heat of warning. So what happens if she still chooses to do what she wants to do? Am I going to force her? Absolutely not. Some people are like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's why I say, Kelly reminds me of this. That's why, Sam, it's your job now to walk with her, to love on her, to show her, to teach her, to develop her and Zoe and our, all of them in the ways of the Lord so that when they're older, I would pray that the probability is more enhanced Way more enhanced than if it were a small slim because it was just a clock in, clock out Sunday thing for us. Instead, she saw it. She felt it. She was in the moments with us. She saw when we were praying and going to God. She saw when we put God first. She saw all those. And I had those big dad adult moments with her. All of those things lead up to, I would say, a probability at a higher rate that I can trust. No, God, I have done what I was called to do with this girl. At the end of the day, it's her choice, God. But if I don't do anything and I just pray, oh, the Lord says if I train them up in the ways of the Lord, we went to church every Sunday, but you weren't, didn't spend any time with them. You didn't talk to them about God. You were absent. You weren't present. Like those are the, does that make sense? Are you with me on that? This is wisdom, understanding that God is a God that when we lean on him, when we trust in him, that he shows his way to be true. But look at what Job says. Are you guys good on time? I want to read this really bad. Job says this. Because when you read all of the wisdom literature and you put them together, it starts to make sense. Here's why. Well, Sam, you can't say, how dare you say that about God in the scripture? Well, let's look at Job. He did everything right. Did he not, church? If you don't know, you should go read Job. It's pretty depressing. This man feared God more than any other man in the world, the scripture said. Walked with God, was humble before God, did everything he was, the cookie cutter expression of someone who loves and walks with God, and still destruction came over his house. How is that? Now, there's a whole ramification theologically of that, but it goes to show that reality isn't just, we're not in heaven just quite yet, right? Bad things still can happen, guys. Even more so why I got to trust and lean on God in all of my understanding and misunderstanding. So here's Job and God speaking to him because he thinks he should be able to like live his life. And God, you're not listening to me the way that I want you to listen to me. Here's what God tells Job. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, 
Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together with all of the angels and shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. That's a God who's in control. He's in charge, not me. He gets to dictate how things go, not me. And so we must approach God humbly. I don't know why he does the things he does. Do you? And I think we, we get in dangerous territory if we think we a thousand percent know. No, God is a, mystery, a mysterious God. Did you know that? I think here in the Western world, we got this part wrong because somewhere along the journey, we got very intellectual. But if you look at Eastern Orthodox of Eastern like Christianity, they are very like, it's just a mystery of God, man. Enjoy it. Come on in. I don't know how to, I don't know. God's good. It's mystery. They have a little bit different of an angle. We are so intellectual. We have to know exactly how it's going to be and pan out. I just don't think that we need to put God in a box like that. He's bigger and grander and more beautiful and more amazing the things he has in store for our lives. But I need wisdom. How about you? I really do in my day-to-day life. I'll end with this. Jesus didn't just have wisdom, he is and was wisdom. He was, the great, he was greater than Solomon with knowledge and wisdom. Consider these verses. 1 Corinthians 1.24, to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and all the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. Colossians 2.3, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And notice, it doesn't say some of the treasures. It says all. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with this staggering statement to you and I, a sermon that depicts how to live life well in this world. This is what he ends with. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them, wisdom, applied knowledge and skill, Puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's it right there. It's like life is simple, but it's really not. But it's like that simple. Do the thing God said to do. Trust him. Walk with him. Abide in him. Obey him. Life isn't going to be all easy and perfect. It's very difficult. But I would rather have God with me than have God without me. Because I want wisdom. So it is both hearing and doing the words of Jesus. When you do, you are like the person who builds on a firm foundation and it's not easily moved. So the wise man is one who benefits from the doing and from doing the right thing with knowledge. So as we dive into the next couple, just read like two Proverbs a day. Can you do that? Read it and and, and write it down and notice there's going to be a lot of, it's going to like repeat itself a lot. But there's so much beauty and wisdom in the Proverbs about life and how to live it. 
I want that for you, friend. I want that for your everyday, even for us, ordinary lives. That we would learn to walk with God with fear, with a sense of awe. But to walk in a way that is filled with wise decisions and choices. Because there will be moments where you don't know what to do. That's when you lean on God. There will be moments you know exactly what to do. It's very clear. It's very common sense like. But there's also moments where you need to lean on community and advice and wisdom and make a healthy collective decision. And so for us, that's my challenge. That we would say, you know what, God? I haven't asked for this in a very long time, but would you give me wisdom? Could everyone just do that? God, would you just, I really need wisdom, Father. I need wisdom and if I should be with this person or not. If you're dating, if you're married, you're in. You're in, man. God, I need wisdom. I need wisdom with, with how, how to navigate these relationships, relationships in my life. Would you give me wisdom? Father, I need wisdom for my finances. Maybe you're stressed and you're not quite sure and it's all over the place. Well, find someone who is really good with finances and ask for, hey, could you give me some advice? That love God, that fear God, and you gain wisdom and counsel. But more than ever, God, would you give me wisdom that comes from heaven? Did you do that this week? Amen. Would you stand with me? We'll pray for you and then we'll... We'll have our, um, our elders come on up. Um, I don't know where Kel's at, but I'll be up here praying. Um, and then Kevin and Marlene will be able to pray for you as well. Anything going on in your life, we just want to offer a time of, we, we call it ministry time. Where if there's anything in your life you just need prayer for. Like we want to lean on God with you. We want to trust that he is the God who answers prayers. He's the God who moves on our behalf. So Jesus I pray for every family in this room. I pray for every father and mother, every son, every daughter. I pray for every person, God, that you would find them in their brokenness, Jesus. You're already there. And so maybe they just need to look at you and, and open their heart to you. You're already searching, God. You're already speaking. You're already moving. I pray, Father, for the person that has a hard heart towards you, that they would simply open up their heart to the possibility that you actually do love them, that you actually do have a plan and a purpose so that they would live the life they are designed to live in your good world, God. I pray for the person that is struggling in their sin, and it seems to be a habit over and over and over again. God, we, we ask that you would break the bondage there, but more importantly, Father, that they would lean on community, that they would find a trusted voice to be honest with and real with and confess to one another so that they can find healing, not with you, God, but with each other. I pray, God, that you would do whatever you want to do in this church. This is your church, God. It's not led by any particular person other than, Father, I know that you have assigned myself and my wife to just do your work here. And so, God, with fear and trembling, may we all do your work here. This is not just, quote, my church. God, this is our church. This, more importantly, is your church. This is your bride. So whatever you want to do with it, God, do it. We get out of the way of you. We humble ourselves before you, Jesus. You are our king.
We love you. We honor you. We worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.